Good morning, everybody. Let's pray over the word this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living and active. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will accomplish all you intend to accomplish this morning through your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we'll be sensitive to your spirit. And that you'll lead us, speak to us, and use us, Lord, as a mouthpiece to speak to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we are in our... Oh, uh, I'll make the adjustment now. You're going to need to turn me down a little. Um, we are in our last week looking at the book of Judges in the Old Testament, a series that exposes the repetitive sin cycle of humanity and, and God's heart to see us restored. We serve an absolutely awesome God. And I just, just to go over some of the judges we've looked at and the nature of humanity. Judges 3 verse 7, Othniel becomes Israel's judge. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God and they got handed over to the enemies. Judges 3 verse 12, Ehud becomes the judge. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and the Lord gave them over to the enemy. Judges 4, verse 1 and 2a, Deborah becomes Israel's judge. After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin. Again, they got handed over to their enemies. Judges 6, verse 1, Gideon becomes Israel's judge. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord handed them over to their enemies. Judges 10, verse 6 and 7, the Ammonites oppress Israel. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Asheroth and the gods of Aram, all those other things. They abandoned the Lord their God and no longer served him at all. It's the nature of humanity. And God's anger burned against them. And what happens is they get sent over and they become slaves to their enemies. Just from this scripture alone, these scriptures and judges, we can see that man's default is to go to compromise and to go to sin. We seem to go there without being asked to. We just go to sin. But we can also see the incredible heart of God who's constantly bailing people out and rescuing us. He sends judges, he sends prophets, he sends kings. Eventually he sends his own son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God longs to see us saved. And the Old Testament reveals just how desperately we need a savior and how desperately God wants to save us. God wants to save us. Judges 13 verse 1. The birth of Samson. Now this is going to be fun today. Again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. So today we're going to fly over uh, four chapters of the Bible. We're going to look at each chapter and what we can learn from it. Judges 13 to 16. And some of the life lessons we can take. And I encourage you, when we speak and go through scripture, go home and read that scripture. Go over it and allow God to, to speak to you. Because this is a very theologically rich text we're going to be looking at today. There's so much more than I can share in one sermon. But God can speak to you. So don't just be fed once a week and then wonder why you're hungry. Go home, go over the scripture, meditate on it, let God speak to you. Before we start... Talking about Samson, he was a juggernaut. I don't know if you would know what that means. He was an absolute beast, a one-man army. All of the other judges 
raised up armies to go against their their enemies. With Samson, he was the army. In actual fact, the only time the Israelites gathered as a group during Samson's reign was against, wasn't against the enemies, it was to ask him to turn himself in. It was the only time the Israelites gathered. This guy was an absolute monster, supernatural strength, raw power, yet unfortunately diluted by compromise. Great power, diluted by compromise. Like all of the other judges, Samson was as broken as he was powerful. Now Warren, this is a mouthful. Warren Wisby said that Sir Winston Churchill described the Russians in 1939 as a riddle wrapped up in a mystery inside an enigma, which is exactly how Warren Wisby describes Samson. A riddle wrapped up in a mystery inside an enigma. And you might have heard the story of Samson when you were in Sunday school and and you're sitting here today, and I'm trusting that God will highlight things because it's an absolute mystery how this guy lived. So let's take a look at this Incredibly interesting yet tragic story, Judges 13. Um, In Judges 13, an angel appears to Samson's mother. And at the time she's barren, she can't have children. And the angel says to her, soon you you will be pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And he will be born into what is called a Nazarite vow. And he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So he's born into a Nazarite vow. That's what he's called to do. And a Nazarite vow, if you want to know what that is, it's found in Numbers 6. And we read about certain people that dedicated themselves to God. And when they took a Nazarite vow, it was normally for a specific amount of time. But Samson was born into this particular vow. And things that marked the vow were, you would never touch anything to do with grapes. Wine, grape juice, grapes, raisin. Grape tizer, Fanta grape, anything to do with grapes, you didn't touch it. You went nowhere, nowhere near anything to do with grapes, and you, you stuck to a very strict Nazarite uh, diet. Another sign is that you would never, ever cut your hair. If you were a Nazarite, don't touch grapes. Stick to a strict diet, never cut your hair. And the last sign was that you would never touch anything dead. Never in your life would you touch anything dead. So an angel appears to Samson's mother... And she doesn't yet know that it's an angel. So she says to her husband, uh, Manoah, she says, this guy appeared and he looked like an angel. He was terrifying and he told us that we're going to have a child. So Manoah prays that this man might return so that she can, he can get instructions on how to raise this prophetic child that they're going to have. So they pray. The angel does return and says, look, I already told your wife all the instructions. Do that. So, so Manoah says, Please, can you just stay here for a while and we prepare a young goat for us to eat? Uh, this is Bible talk for no Hanon's bride, right? That's what he has in mind. No doppies, no grapes. We're just going to have a bride. So the angel says, I'll stay, but I won't eat. Rather use the lamb as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then Manoah asks him, what is your name? So that when, not if, he has faith, he says, when this happens, we can honor you. What is your name? And this is how the, the, the angel responds. Judges 13, verse 18. Why do you ask my, my name? The angel of the Lord replied. It is too wonderful for you to understand. Do we get it? We get an understanding of who he's talking to. So Manoah takes... He makes a fire on the altar and he sacrifices the, the, the lamb and the grain and the thing for, he does a sacrifice for the Lord. And the angel walks into the fire and ascends into heaven with the flames. 
Then all of a sudden, the light's gone from a no, and he's like, oh, now all of a sudden he realizes this is just not, not a normal man. You know, like when Larry fell in the fire, he stayed there. This guy went up to heaven. So he starts to freak out. He goes into panic mode, and he says, we've seen God. And if we see God, therefore we will die. So he starts to panic. And his wife comes him down and says, why would he tell us about a future son only to kill us? So relax. So sometime later they have a son and they name him Samson, which means, oh, there I am. Thank you. Which means sunny. So Samson means sunny. Unfortunately for Samson, things don't stay sunny forever. You with me on Judges 13? Judges 14. So Samson grows up, and even though his parents are trying to honor God, they want to honor God, um, because they are so submerged into ungodly culture, Samson soon gets pulled off the rails. Remember, he is there to rescue the people from the Philistines, yet instead of fighting them, he's flirting with them. And we read this, Judges 14, verse 1 to 3. One day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. (laughs) Get her for me. I objected. Isn't there even one woman in the tribe or among all the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She looks good to me. (laughs) (laughs) I read that like a brat because he's being a brat. Um, At least he has a good solid reason for why he wants to get married. You know? (laughs) She looks good. That's enough reason. Parents and his community, she looks good. So therefore, let's go for it. Judges 14 verse 4. His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at the time. Even in our detours, God is working. God is always working. So when we are not where we're supposed to, God will still use that to bring about his glory. Right? When we are doing our detour, God is still at work. So off they go. He goes off with his parents to meet this girl, and on the way there, Samson takes a detour into the vineyards. Remember, He has a Nazarite vow. And where is he now? In the vineyards, the hometown of grapes. The very place he's not supposed to be. He's right there amongst the grapes. And while he's there, he gets attacked by a lion. You think he would have read into that? I would have thought, like, I'm not supposed to be here. He gets attacked by a lion. And the Spirit of God comes upon him, and he rips the lion apart like it's a small goat, according to Scripture. Superhuman strength. This guy is the king of carnage, genuinely superhuman strength with the temperament of a toddler. So this happens. He kills the lion, but he keeps it a secret. He doesn't tell anyone where he was or what he did. Then they get to the girl's house that he wants to marry, and she still looks good. So he's like, let's let the arrangements continue. Let's get married. Sometime later, so they arrange things. He goes back home. Sometime later, he's on his way back to the wedding, and he goes back into the vineyard to see the lion that he killed previously. And when he gets there, bees have made a hive in the carcass. Remember, he's a Nazarite. Don't touch dead things. He's in a vineyard touching a dead thing. So he takes some honey, 
gives it to his parents and doesn't tell him where he got it. In those days, you were considered married from the time that you were engaged, right? So I know the scripture, it, it may get confusing, but in their culture, the moment you got engaged, you were considered marriage even before the wedding. So Samson throws this big bachelor party with a bunch of guys from Timnah. These are Philistines. And at the party, he challenges them with a riddle. He says this. Samson said to them, Judges 14, 12 to 15. Let me tell you a riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets uh, of festive clothing. All right, they agree. Let's hear the riddle. And he said, and you might remember this, out of the one who eats comes something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. Three days later, they're still trying to figure it out. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle to us or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So apparently the Philistines take their riddles very seriously. Like they, very seriously. I've got a riddle for you. Well, you know the answer. You know What gets wetter as it dries? Oh, guys, a towel, right? But imagine I said to you, I'm going to, here's a riddle for you. If you don't tell me the answer, I will burn down your house. It's, it's a very intense riddle to have to answer, right? The, the answer's a towel. Do you understand? What gets, uh. So, <laughs> Samson's wife slash wife-to-be begs and nags and pleads, and on the last day, he gives in and he tells her. She tells them, and he loses the bet. And with this, Samson absolutely rages. His skin goes green, his pants went purple, and he just... <laughs> You know, combination, the incredible health, the incredible sock, all into one, and he rages. What happens is the Spirit of God comes on him, and he goes into a neighboring town, and he, and he kills 30 men. Takes their clothes and gives them to the guys that solve the riddle. And instead of going back and following through with the wedding, he goes back to his parents. He's upset. And while he's gone, his father-in-law-to-be marries the girl he wants to marry off to Samson's best man playing with fire. Judges 15. After Samson cools off from losing the riddle, he doesn't even know that his fiance is now married. He gets a gift together and off he goes to consummate the marriage and when he gets to her house, his now ex-father-in-law-to-be won't let him in and says, I thought you hated her, so I married her off to somebody else. But on a positive note, that's the bad news. The good news is, I have a younger daughter who's even prettier than she is. Why don't you marry her? And the toddler temper tantrum in Samson erupts. And he does what any man in his situation would do. He catches 300 foxes, ties them together in pairs, sets them on fire, and releases them into the Philistine grain fields. Right? That's where he puts these foxes, 300, ties them together, sets them on fire, and releases them into the grain. And the south coast of KZN were more offended that he hurt animals <laughs> than killing all the people he's killed. Right? Judges 15. Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Now they're upset because their grain has been burned. Samson was the reply because his father-in-law from Timna gave Samson's wife to be married to his best man. So the Philistines went to get the woman and her father 
and burn them to death. It is an ungodly culture. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. So he just went on a killing rampage. And he was called by God to be a thorn in the Philistines' side to begin their downfall. Yet like many of us, Samson's worst enemy was not the Philistines, it was himself. For many of us in the room, God has given us incredible potential with a great call and the greatest obstacle to us walking in it is ourselves. He could blame the in-laws. He could blame the Philistines. He could blame his girlfriend. He could blame the groomsmen. You know, they all played a part. Yet the root issue was his own attitude, character, and behavior. We can blame the whole world for why we do what we do and all our problems, but so often the biggest problem is found in the mirror. So the Philistines are upset now because Samson is a thorn in their side. He's gone on a killing rampage. So they set up camp against Judah. So the Philistines, um, the Israelites ask, why, why are you attacking us? We are comfortable in our complacency. We, we are happy to be oppressed by you, even though God doesn't want us to be oppressed by you, because we just want to live at peace with the culture that we're in, which is wrong. They shouldn't have been living like that. We don't want to cause a fight. We don't want to get into trouble. We're happy in our compromise. What do you want? We want Samson, they replied. So 3,000 men of Judah gathered together to go and fetch Samson. If you want to go and fetch your raucous friend, three seems reasonable, right? 30 seems overkill. 300, you're just being ridiculous. Yet with Samson, 3,000 seems about right. This guy is fierce. So they promise not to kill. He says, guys, don't attack me yourselves. So they say, look, we won't attack you. I think they've got some common sense. We won't attack you. So he says, look, tie me up with two new ropes. Um, and then what they do is they tie him up with these two new ropes, and they hand him over to the Philistines, who are all now cheering. Yeah, we got, finally we've got this menace in our hands. He's tied up. He's handed over. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Samson. He snaps the ropes like they are burnt strings, picks up the jawbone of a donkey, and opens a can on the Philistines. Armed with just a jawbone, he killed a thousand of them. And I read one commentary. It says it must have been like a fresh jawbone. A brittle one would have broken. He was smashing people with the jawbone. This guy has a tantrum. This is a temper. And to end the day, like any fierce warrior would, he writes a nice poem. <laughs> From pulverizing Philistines to poetry. Yeah. Judges 15, verse 16 and 17. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. He's not great at poetry. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue, some poems rhyme. But this one doesn't. <laughs> That's how it was. When he finished his boasting, this is scripture, when he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was named Jawbone Hill. And after going on a massive killing rampage, you know, you get thirsty. And now he's in a situation, he's thirsty, he's killed all these people, he's thrown away the jawbone, and it says this in Judges 15, Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to the Lord, you, uh, you have accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. 
Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? These are dramatic, dude. So God caused water to gush out from the hollow in the ground in Lehi, Lehi, whatever you want to call it. And Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spirit of the one who cried out, and it is still in Lehi, whatever, to this day. There are two prayers that Samson prays that are answered, and this is one of them. The other one comes later. Even though Samson was superhumanly strong, unless God sustained his life, he was powerless. No matter how gifted or accomplished we are, no matter how strong or successful, we only exist because God sustains and provides. With all our accomplishments, with all our strength, with everything we think we've accomplished, it's only valuable because God sustains our life and provides it in the first place. This guy's supposed to be set apart for God, yet he turns a blind eye to the way that he should be living because he wants to satisfy his sin and his pleasures and his revenge. Judges 16, things go from bad to worse. Again, Samson went down into the Philistine town called Gaza. Now, he's not just camping close to compromise. He's now embracing compromise altogether. When you camp too close to compromise, the line gets blurred, and all of a sudden you find it far, far easier and far more comfortable to do things you shouldn't be doing. Gifted by God, called by God, yet neglecting God to satisfy himself. And for all of us, When we neglect God to satisfy ourselves, it always comes at a price, and the price is always more than we wish to pay. So Samson goes to Gaza. Every time he goes down to the town, he goes down spiritually, and he gets together with a prostitute. So the Philistines close the gates and wait to ambush him, because they know he's in Gaza. So what they do is they lock up Gaza. He's with the prostitute. They're going to ambush him as soon as he leaves town. But for some reason, Samson does what Samson does, and he gets up at midnight. He doesn't wait for the morning. He gets up at midnight, and off he goes, and he sees the gates are closed. So what he does is he breaks the gates off, including the poles, and he carries them up a hill. And the guys that were waiting to ambush decide to take a rain check. You know, they're like, we're not going to attack him. Then Samson meets the second love of his life. Again, a Philistine woman, and her name is? Delilah. Delilah. Now the Philistines offer her, they say, like, he's met this woman, he's fallen for her, and they say, look, we'll give you a lot of money. Tell us the secret to his strength. What makes this man so strong? If you tell us, we will pay you an amazing amount of money, lots of silver. So she asks Samson, Judges 16, verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong. And what it would take to tie you up securely. So Samson gives her some method that isn't true. So she says, okay, she, she tries the thing he's told her and he breaks free. And she's all upset. I can't believe you did that to me. Delilah's upset with Samson. Judges 16 verse 10. Afterwards, Delilah said to him, you've been making fun of me and telling me lies. Now please tell me how you can be tied up securely. It's amazing. Because this man's being led to his demise, yet he can't see it. So he gives her another story. Ah, you must use new ropes, do this and that. So she tries. She says he's under attack. Once again, he breaks free, and she gets more upset. And they go through the whole thing a third time. And then she gets all emotional, and she starts tugging on his heartstrings. Judges 16, 15, 17. Then Delilah parted. (laughs) We have a, let's all part. I don't know what a part looks like. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm being videoed. I mean, not. 
Who's good at pouting? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> then Delilah pouted. So she's pouting. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. <laughs> that's, that's what it says. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed. For I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. A man set apart and called by God betrayed for silver. Silver coins. A prophetic picture of the coming Messiah. So she betrays him. He falls asleep on her lap. He's vulnerable. He's in that weak space. She signals for the enemies. They cut his hair. The spirit leaves him. She gets her silver and he loses his strength. Be very careful who you trust. Samson let his feelings overrule his faith and it blinded his judgment. Our feelings are wonderful God-given gifts. But our feelings should never lead where our faith wouldn't take us. Judges 16, verse 20. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. Hectic. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. Samson turned a blind eye, so to speak, to God. And his spiritual decay ended up becoming a physical manifestation. Physically and spiritually blind. Remember, his name means sunny. Right? The sun gives light. And now he's in absolute darkness. Obviously, the Philistine people were relieved. They were absolutely ecstatic because now they believe their God has won the victory and they've handed him, you know, they finally got Samson, their enemy's been handed over and they make him entertain them. Sin seeks to ridicule and mock us. It promises to please us yet instead blinds us and sets a stage for our mockery. Oh, look at them, look what they did. Yet through Jesus Christ, the stage that's set for our mockery gets used to become a public spectacle for the enemy. He gets put on that stage and mocked. Because God triumphed over him by the cross. And when we choose to put Jesus first, our spiritual eyes are open. Our strength is restored. God is available. And all of a sudden, we don't get paraded in our sin, but we have victory over it. This is how the story ends. The, Philistines rule, the Philistine rulers held a great festival. Judges 16, 23 to 31. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. While the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered us, uh, our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to, listen to this, this is tragic. 
Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, 3,000 men needed to restrain him. Now he's being led around by a little boy. He says, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there. And there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. And I believe that this is some people's prayer in this room. Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. He's still driven by revenge, rooted in something selfish. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushed against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. He killed more people when he died than when he, during his entire lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get the body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson judged Israel for 20 years. What a tragic ending to the story. The, the Old Testament is a physical picture of a spiritual principle. Often we hear these stories and we think, how on earth could he have done that? I mean, surely he would have known better. I would never do that. So what can we learn from this story that can kind of speak into our lives and our context today? I have three very short points, but I trust that some of the points during the, pre the preach would have really spoken to you. Number one, sin blinds us and binds us. Samson went from a young man full of promise and potential and ended up grinding grain for his enemy. Sin blinds us, binds us, and grinds us. When I was prepping for this preach, I was reading a commentary by Warren Wesby, and he says this, Samson is one of three people in Scripture, three men in Scripture, who are specially identified with darkness. The other two are King Saul, who went out into darkness to get last minute help from a witch, and Judas, who went immediately out and it was night. Saul lived for the world. Samson yielded to the flesh and Judas gave himself to the devil. And all three ended up taking their own lives. Sin wants to pull you into a darkness that makes you feel like there's no hope, there's no point. And actually the truth is God's filled your life with purpose and potential. And all we need to do is call out to him. And we cannot say, well, look at everything I've accomplished because I'm so strong, I'm so great, because everything we have is from God himself. As Brent said this morning, all we can do is walk in obedience and give God praise. I look at all these famous people, and I'm not here to throw stones at anyone, I promise you, because we all got our thing. Like you get Beyonce, Britney Spears, Katy Perry, all these people who start off with these great gifts from God. But eventually their gift becomes more important than the giver of the gift. And they become these great celebrities who are no longer pointing to Jesus but living for themselves. And how many people have great potential? God takes a back seat and then it's about the gift. Sin will take us further than we want to go. Hold us longer than we intend to stay. And cost us more than we intend to pay. Samson was vengeful and angry and sulky and selfish. And being this way, he became his own worst enemy. Through Jesus Christ, we have been freed from our sins. We do not have to go back. Think about this. Samson went back to the carcass of the lion. Right? God sets us free of our sins. 
And then there's something sweet and tempting about that carcass. Wow, the bees have made But it, it, that honey, it looks sweet, but at the end it's bitter as gall. It looks wonderful, but it ends with a bitter result. Sin will have a way of trying to pull you back to the things that you've overcome and defeated and things you've conquered. You've got victory over them, and all of a sudden there will be something sweet about it that says, it's not so bad. But like Samson, taking honey from the lion carcass, it cost him more than he was willing to pay. The enemy will put honey around compromise to make it look sweet, but at the end it's actually bitter. Point number two, so recap, sin will bind us and blind us. Point number two, very short, it's not too late. Even if you have gone off the rails and you're sitting here thinking, I have lived a life of absolute compromise, God can still use us. All we need to do is call on him. Consequences come, yet God restores. We serve a God who restores. Jesus Christ is amazing. And if you are in the room and you can hear me, it means that God has placed you in this space at this time for a purpose. We can't wait until tomorrow or until we are completely blind before we say, Lord Jesus, please help me out of this space. Point number three, God would rather forgive than judge. God saw Samson as a man of faith. In Hebrews 11, we read about this, the hall of faithers, these incredible men and women who lived this accomplished faith lives. And Samson's name is actually mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. Instead of holding his, his um, sins against him and his faults against us, God looks at our faith and he only holds that against our lives. So right now, you might be riddled by what you did. And I want to say this, anyone in Christ is a new creation. And God is not holding your sin against you unless you don't accept him as Savior, Lord and Savior. If you do accept him as Lord and Savior, then he doesn't hold your sin against you. He holds your faith against you. And we want to live lives that say, Jesus, every day I want to live a life that represents who you are. We don't want to be people who only call on God when things are dark. We want to call on God every day to be lights to the rest of the world. I understand that scripture says, God says this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is our ever-present help in danger. He is always available. God does not leave us. But in this situation, he compromised against his vow, and the strength and anointing leaves him. And we can be in a place where we are called, and we have an anointing, and we have an authority, yet we choose to walk away from it because we want to embrace a different life. And I'm saying today, say, Lord, I don't want to walk into darkness. If I'm heading in the wrong direction, help me to turn around, which is another word for repent, and help me to hold on to you and always live in the light. If the Holy Spirit left your life today, would you notice the difference? The Holy Spirit left Samson. And he had no power. And we don't want to go through our lives wondering, do I even have anything God's given me? We want to say, Lord, fill our lives with your spirit so that I can constantly and always function in the strength you've placed on my life. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will wash over us like a flood. That those who are in the room, Lord, that are in a dark place, maybe living in compromise, going to sweet things that appear wonderful but actually cost more than we're willing to pay. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will give them strength and grace today. Lord, your word says that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And I pray for a supernatural strength and grace over everyone in this room. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will learn from Samson's life not to flirt with compromise 
flirt with sin and then wonder why it's costing us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it says, who for the joy set before him, and that joy was to see us restored to you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us. Give us supernatural strength like you gave to Samson to bring down the enemy, to take ground for the king and the kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that every person that can hear my voice right now will be set apart for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, that we can learn from the mistakes of others so we don't have to walk in them. Jesus, take our whole lives. Take our everything. You are our Lord, our Savior, our King. I thank you, Jesus, that we will live like that.